Welcome to the Pulp Nostalgia Audiocast. This week we have Death Plays Santa Claus by Johnston McCulley. The story was originally published in the December 1945 issue of Thrilling Detective. McCulley was the author of hundreds of stories for the Pulps and the creator of numerous mass characters, most notably the vigilante Zorro. McCulley would write dozens of stories, serials, and novels about the hero, and Zorro would inspire movies, television shows, radio dramas, and more. He created numerous other characters as well, most notably Thubway Tham, a pickpocket with a lisp, yes really, who appeared in more than 100 stories from 1918 to 1960, and the Spider, a master criminal not to be confused with the later hero of the same name. If you enjoy this story and you're in a holiday mood, this book, this story is also included in our book, Deck the Pulps, the new release from Brick Pickle Media, featuring Yuletide Tales of Murder, Mayhem, and Adventure. You can be ordered from Amazon or any other bookstore, and you can get a discounted price by ordering direct from our website. That link is in the show notes. This podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production, copyright 2020. For more from Brick Pickle Media, visit www.pulpaudiocast.com. If you'd like to support our efforts, you can find a link to all of our books and our entire online store on the website. And with that, on with the show. Death Plays Santa Claus by Johnston McCulley. Lieutenant Mike O'Hare of Homicide makes short work of a murder case so that he can spend his Christmas at home. Deep disgust formed a picture in the face of Detective Lieutenant Michael Harris as he sat before his desk in the Homicide Squad's room at police headquarters. It was nine by the clock on Christmas Eve. O'Hare had anticipated Christmas Eve at home with his wife and their two young children, for it was his regular time off duty. He had intended donning a Santa Claus costume and giving the kids the time of their young lives. A Christmas tree had been prepared and a closet was filled with presents. But lots had been drawn to decide which members of the squad would spend Christmas Eve on duty and which would serve through Christmas Day and O'Hara had drawn a Christmas Eve position. So a Detective Sergeant Ed Rossman, who was busy now with the radio in the corner of the room, bringing in Christmas music. In deference to O'Hara's fit of gloom, he kept the radio turned low. So it's Christmas Eve, O'Hara growled. When a man should be at home if he's got kids, the only homicides we ever have on Christmas Eve are simple killings. The result of fights was the results of too much Christmas water. There's never any question about him. No mysteries to solve. The patrolman on the beats could handle and make a report, right? Right, Rasmus agreed. But you never can tell. By working the night, Mike, we get tomorrow off. We can eat Christmas dinner with our folks. The telephone bell on O'Hara's desk gave three quick jangles, the alert signal. His face grew stern and he reached for the phone. Those three jerky rings meant business. O'Hara at this end! Maybe you'd better take that call, Lieutenant, the telephone desk sergeant answered. Sounds important. Switch him on. The desk sergeant made the switchboard connection. Homicide squad, Lieutenant O'Hara speaking. A cultured, well-modulated masculine voice came to him over the wire. This is Dr. Morgan Stamp. I am at the residence of Cecil Fargo on Empire Boulevard. I regret to report that Mr. Fargo passed away a few minutes ago under circumstances that appear suspicious to me. Though I have been his personal physician for several years, I thought it best to notify the police and have an investigation made. Quite right, sir, O'Hara replied. We'll be right there. He cradled the phone and got out of his chair. Punch the button, Ed. We roll? Rasmus asked. O'Hara nodded assent as he reached for his hat and overcoat. Rasmus pressed a button and started things moving. The homicide squad was going out. 
The speedy sedan with Darren's chauffeur would be waiting for them when they hurried into the basement garage of headquarters. The police photographer and the fingerprint expert would follow in a car always ready and carrying their equipment, and two minor squad men would be with them. Doc Lane, the medical examiner on duty, would be notified promptly and chase them to the address. With his siren wailing and a warning to traffic, the sedan rushed and skidded through the streets with red lights burning, cut across the corner of the busy retail business district where throngs were making the usual last-minute purchases turned in the broad Empire Boulevard and sped along that toward an old residential part of the city, where imposing mansions sat far back from the street in groves of trees and expressed the grandeur of an earlier era. About an inch of snow was on the ground, and fine snow was drifting through the air. Perfect Christmas Eve weather, O'Hara thought. And I should be home playing Santa Claus for my two kids. If this turns out to be a twister case, Rasman began, to the sergeant, a twister case was one involving a mystery to be solved and calling for clever work on the part of the squad instead of routine stuff. Don't even think that! O'Hara barked at him as the police chauffeur, who was listening, grinned into the rear vision mirror. A twister with us opening it up means we'd have to stay with it till the end. Then where'd our Christmas day at home be? If it's a twister case, we've got to crack it wide open before morning, even if we have to beat the truth out of somebody. I'm going to spend Christmas at home. Let's hope this Cecil Fargle died of a heart attack caused by indigestion. I know, Mike, but there's small chance of that, Rasmund warned. Dr. Morgan's staff is one wise medic, I've heard. He wouldn't have called for an ordinary heart attack. Staff is a fashionable society doctor. I've met him a few times. He reminds me of a human icicle. But some doctors and surgeons get like that, seeing so much misery and pain. They harden themselves against the same as we do. Cecil Fargo has a lot of moolah, huh? According to reports, he has money stacked up in about a dozen banks. He's about 70. The family's been here since the town was only a wide place in the trail. Almost died out now. He has only one relative, as far as I know. A niece named Penelope. Everyone calls her Penny. Sensible girl, about 23. Behind the sedan, a siren wailed and indicated the second squad car was on their heels. O'Hara relaxed in the seat, lit a cigarette, and took a few puffs. The sedan was making good speed on the wide boulevard, which traffic seemed to have deserted at that hour. Finally, the car turned into a driveway and ran up to the front of a huge old-fashioned mansion and stopped. The second car was there by the time O'Hara and Rasmussen got out of the first. As O'Hara and the others started up the steps to the front porch, a third car whizzed by and skidded to a stop, and Doc Lane got out of it and hurried to them. O'Hara called a couple of men to him. When this gets out, the news hawks will flock here. I don't want any reporters messing around till I know what's what. You two stand guard and keep out. I'll tell them everything later. O'Hara went up to the front door with the others of the homicide squad behind him. But before he could ring, the door was opened by a tall, distinguished-appearing man in evening attire. I'm Dr. Morgan Stamp. Thank you for being so prompt. Please come in and I'll give you the scant details so you can get at your work. Dr. Stamp ushered O'Hara and the others into an elegantly furnished anteroom and waved them toward chairs. He looked what O'Hara called him, a human icicle. This is a tragic occurrence, Dr. Stamp said when they were seated. I have been Cecil Fargo's personal physician for years. He was a splendid culture gentleman. I know all that, Stamp. Just tell us what happened here, and please make it as short as possible. It's Christmas Eve and we're shorthanded. Very well. It was Mr. Fargo's custom to have a sort of private family party on Christmas Eve. He always did a tree with presents heaped beneath it, and his old houseman, Fred Denshaw, always put on a costume and false face and acted as Santa Claus. His guests this evening were only three. His niece and ward, Miss Penelope Fargo, Mr. Bob Lodger, her present romantic attachment, and myself. You've been here all evening? Oh, no. 
I had a call to make on a patient and telephoned that I'd be a little late to partake of Christmas cheer. Prefer them to go ahead with their Santa Claus show and not wait for me. I arrived only a few minutes before I called you. Where are the others? In the living room. Mr. Fargle died in the library where he had the Christmas tree. I left the body there and asked Miss Fargle and Mr. Blige to retire to the living room and remain there. Just what happened? When I came to the house and rang, the door was opened by Bob Blodger. He said Santa Claus had just done his stuff, Santa being Fred Denshaw, the old houseman, and had gone to prepare the buffet lunch. In addition to Denshaw, there were only two servants, a cook and a maid. Mr. Fargo felt that in wartime he should get along with a small staff. And after you came in? I removed my hat and overcoat and started for the library with Bob Lodger, saying I'd be glad to have a drink and toast myself before the fireplace. So we went along the hall, we heard Miss Fargo scream and ran to her at once. Her uncle had collapsed and dropped upon the floor. I asked Blodger to aid me, and we put him upon a couch. I expected the usual heart attack. Mr. Fargo was past 70 and has had repeated attacks of acute indigestion. But it wasn't an ordinary heart attack. In my judgment, no. Your medical examiner, uh, Dr. Lane here, can make his own investigation. I think we will, he will detect at once a scent of bitter almonds. Prussic acid? Doc Lane snapped. Dr. Stamp nodded his head in assent. They went to the library. Lane went to the couch and made an immediate examination. O'Hara looked around the room while Rasmus began his usual prowling. The photographer and fingerprint men stood aside, waiting to be called to do their work if they were needed. There was the Christmas tree in a corner. Wrappings from packages were scattered around the room. Open and unopened boxes of presents were on the tables and chairs. A portable bar had been set up in one corner. Beside it was a table covered with luncheon foods. Doc Lane concluded examination. Prussic acid, I'd say. Every symptom and no indication it was taken through the mouth. He didn't drink the stuff, you mean? Doc Lane shook his head negatively. How'd he get it, then? I'll continue my examination. Lane said, giving O'Hara a level look. All right, Doc. Rasmin, come with me. Dr. Stamp, we'll join the others, please. You other boys, stay with Lane. They went to the big living room. Penny Fargo and Bob Blodger were sitting on a divan. The girl was sobbing softly, and Blodger had an arm around her, trying to comfort her. Tell me exactly what happened, O'Hara instructed the girl. We had been having a happy time. Dr. Stamp phoned and said he'd be delayed, so my uncle to Denshaw to get into his costume and play Santa Claus. Usual sort of costume? The same one Denshaw has used for years. Red flannel trimmed with white, and he always wore a Santa Claus mask and heavy fur gloves. He came in and got the presents from beneath the tree and handed them to us and bowed, as always before. He left Dr. Stamp's gifts in a little pile under the tree. Then Uncle Cecil remarked about the buffet supper, which was a hint for Denshaw to retire. Take off the costume and make hot coffee. Uncle told the cook and maid they could have the evening off. He always did that on Christmas Eve. What happened after the houseman left? Uncle was laughing at a funny little toy. I had bought him as a gift. Suddenly he dropped it, tried to get out of the chair into his feet. A horrible expression came into his face and he dropped to the floor. Who was with him at the time? I was alone with him. The doorbell had rung and we guessed Dr. Stomp had arrived. And Bob hurried to let him in, knowing Denshaw was busy in the kitchen. I screamed when Uncle fell, and they came running. All that correct, Blodger? Yes, sir. O'Hara eyed him. Bob Blodger was about 28, the son of a good family. He'd won a reputation in football in his college days. He'd been in the Marines and seen some hard fighting and had been invalided home. O'Hara knew young Blodger was working now for a bond company. Though his family had plenty of money, he really did not have to work. 
That Blodger and Fargo were in love with each other, there could be no doubt. The way they looked at each other, the way they acted, told that. But O'Hara, who read their newspapers religiously, even to the Juan Anthony Society News for professional reasons, had not noticed a report of an actual engagement. Doc Lane came to the door and called O'Hara, and he excused himself and went to talk to the medical examiner. He got it in his right hand, Lane reported. Must have been a hypo needle. There's a puncture and burn. You mean somebody gave it to him? We searched around and didn't find any needle. Searched his clothing and all over the room. How long did it take the stuff to work, Doc? Hard to say. It depended on the strength of the solution, the condition of the victim, and all that. It was a few minutes after nine when we got the call. I'd say he died about that time. Can't be sure, but it's close enough. Somebody must have jabbed him. Far as we know now, Dr. Stomp wasn't here. According to all stories, he rang the doorbell a moment before Fargo dropped. That leaves Penny Fargo and young Blodger, and the houseman. Hmm, I've got an idea. He hurried back to the living room and sat down, a picture of poise. He spoke in a voice which did not betray excitement. Miss Fargo, did anything unusual happen while the presents were being distributed? Did your uncle act normally? Yes, he was joking and laughing. He was always like a boy on Christmas Eve. It was one redeeming trait. She stopped abruptly. Redeeming trait? Might I gather you didn't exactly like your uncle? He was both my uncle and guardian. He and a banker to handle my fortune until I was 25, which will be in seven months. We, we didn't see it eye to eye on some things. Romantic affairs, for instance. Mr. Fargo didn't want Penny to marry me, Bob Lodger cut in. Penny and I really love each other. I have plenty of money, and so is my family, though not as much as Mr. Fargo, of course. What was his objection to you, Blodger? I happen to know your fine family. And if you could support her and she was in love with you, why should there be an objection? My uncle was a tyrant, Penny Fargo broke in this time. He was a man who wanted to order the lives all around him. I never actually quarreled with him, but I did demand that he let me marry Bob. The other day, I threatened to marry Bob anyhow, without Uncle's consent. Any idea why he didn't want you to marry Blodger? He said he wanted me to marry an older man, an established man who had attained prominence. Such a man, he held, should always marry a young woman of good family and estate, so she could preside like a queen over his household and give him strong, healthy children to carry on the line. That sort of thing was a mania with him. I see. O'Hara got up and paced around the room for a moment while the others watched. Doc Lane was standing in the doorway, and Dr. Stomp was sitting off to one side, saying nothing. O'Hara stopped pacing and faced them. Mr. Fargo was murdered. Murdered? Penny cried as she gripped Bob Blodger's arm. But he just collapsed. Nobody touched him. You said he was laughing and joking while the presents were being distributed. Think now. Did anything at all unusual happen? Uh, it may not amount to much, Blodger began. I'll decide that. What was it? Well, when Santa Claus handed him one of the packages, the very last, if I'm not mistaken, Mr. Fargo cried ouch and shook his right hand. Instant later, he said a pin in the ribbon around the package had stuck him. Santa Claus handed him the package. Yes, sir. Mr. Fargo unwrapped it, and Santa Claus, that is Denshaw, left to get rid of his costume and make coffee. A little while the doorbell rang, and Penny asked me to answer it, because Denshaw was busy. I let him doff for stamp, as you know. Where is Denshaw, the houseman, now? think I'll have a little talk with him. Probably in the kitchen, Penny replied. Straight back to the cross hall, then to the right. Denshaw's living room was just off the kitchen, too. Get him, Ed, O'Hara snapped at Rasman. As Rasman hurried away, O'Hara looked at the others again. As I said, Mr. Fargo was murdered. Prussic acid killed him. It was injected in the right hand. When he said a pin had struck him, he got the poison. Then Denshaw did it, Blodger cried, but why would he? 
O'Hara signaled for him to be silent and faced the girl again. Miss Fargo, how long have you lived here? My mother, who was my last surviving relative except Uncle Cecil, died when I was ten. Uncle Cecil brought me here almost immediately. I was sent away to school, and that kept me up until schooling was over. Then I had a debut, and since that I've lived on here with frequent trips abroad, before the war. How long has Fred Denshaw been houseman here? He has been here for some years before I came. He really was butler when Uncle Cecil had a big house staff. He's been a sort of general handyman since Uncle cut down the staff because of the war. He thought it was a patriotic thing to do. My uncle had his faults, but he was a real patriotic American. I'll say that for him. Did he ever have any trouble with Denshaw? I can answer that. I've heard them several times recently when they seem to be quarreling, and it surprised me that Uncle Cecil, so proud and arrogant, would tolerate it. I expected him to discharge Denshaw, but he didn't. No Derek quarreling about? No, sir, I didn't hear actual words, just their angry voices. And once I saw Denshaw come from the library and his eyes were blazing, his fists were clenched. Rasman came to the door and called, and O'Hara hurried out to him. Rasman called to Doc Lane, too. I found the houseman, Denshaw. Rasman whispered. He found the floor in his own room, dead. Put the photographer in front of the library door. Put the fingerprint man on guard at this door. Call one of the men outside. Carlson will do and tell him to stand here in the hall, quick. Rasman hurried down the hall toward the door, barking orders. So we've got a twister, maybe. O'Hara said to Doc Lane. The men were stationed quickly. Then Rasman took O'Hara and Doc Lane down the hall, through the enormous kitchen, and to the houseman's room. Denshaw was stretched on the floor, face upward. On the floor beside him was a tumbled Santa Claus costume, as if he had just cast it off. Doc Lane made a swift examination. Same stuff. Puncture and burn in the left hand. Lane went out with his examination while O'Hara and Rasman searched the room. So Fargo and this man have been quarreling about something, Rasman summed up. He jabs Fargo and kills him. Then comes back to his own room and jabs himself. With what? We haven't found a needle. This man got a heavy shot and died almost instantly, Lane reported. Would he have had time to dispose of a needle? I'd say not. He probably dropped a second after he was jabbed. Somebody could have held him, jabbed, waited until the stuff did its work, and then dropped him on the floor. O'Hara looked at Rasmin. Ed, let's assume that Denshaw decided to kill his employer and then commit suicide. If so, why the trickery? Why did he just kill Fargo with a gun or some other weapon and then take away himself? Why the jab in the hand while playing Santa Claus? And housemen, as a rule, don't go through life packing prussic acid and hyponeedles. It's not easy to get. I've guessed it, Mike. Somebody else killed them both, Rasmin decided. Tried to make it look like Denshaw had killed Fargo and then himself. It looked good, especially since Fargo and Denshaw had been quarreling about something. So it seems, Mike. O'Hara picked up the discarded Santa Claus costume. It was an ordinary red flannel, trimmed in white, and the mask had been tossed down near it. O'Hara sniffed at the costume and held it for Rasmin to sniff. Mothballs, Rasmin said. Right, and why not? They've been using this costume each Christmas Eve and packing away meanwhile. O'Hara went over to Denshaw's body, knelt beside it, bent forward, and sniffed and sniffed. He motioned for Rasmin to do the same. No mothball smell, Rasmin said. Right again. Which means that poor Denshaw didn't have on that Santa Claus costume tonight. Somebody killed him in here as he was preparing to put the costume on. That somebody played Santa Claus in Denshaw's place and killed Fargo. So it's a twister. And we're going to crack it quick. I'm not going to spend Christmas Day away from my family working on a case. Get out your flashlight and come with me. They went out the kitchen door and flashed their lights.
There was an inch or more of snow on the ground and tracks were in the snow. They led around the side of the house into the driveway. The tracks were all like somebody had come around the house and entered, then had gone back the same way. Let's get inside. Things are commencing to shape up. We'll get some facts now, maybe. Keep your mouth shut about things. They went back to the living room. Penny Fargo was sitting on the divan beside Bob Lodger again. Dr. Morgan Stamp was still in his chair, puffing at a cigarette. Denshaw is dead. In the same manner. First reaction was that he killed Mr. Fargo as their quarrel and then committed suicide. But certain things now lead us to believe that somebody else killed them both. Killed them both? Dr. Stamp cried. Who could have done it? How and why? There's no indication of any stranger being in the house tonight, though such a thing is possible. So, well, look at it yourselves. Who had the opportunity? Ms. Fargo did. Mr. Blodger did. Denshaw did, but he is the victim himself, so was out of it. How dare you suggest such a thing? Blodger began indignantly. Tut, tut, O'Hara interrupted, shaking a finger at him. To me, everyone is guilty until proved innocent. By the way, do any of you happen to know who benefits by Mr. Fargo's will? I can tell you something of that, Dr. Stamp replied. Mr. Fargo made a new will about a year ago and consulted me regarding one part of it, and he happened to tell me that he was intended to do with the estate. What? A large amount for various charities, of course. A fortune for Penny, his only surviving relative. Denshaw was down for $10,000 for long and faithful service. And you? Uh, Mr. Fargo's wiped out of cancer. He spoke to me some years ago, leaving an amount to be used as a special fund for the study of cancer. I was to use the money to fund a clinic and build a sanitarium, of which I was to be the supervising director. A splendid idea. I agree with you. Have you had any recent disagreements with Mr. Fargo? I? Well, only because he disregarded my instructions about his diet. He'd grown subject to fits of irascibility and was rather difficult at times, as Penny can tell you. Disagree about anything else? The doctor hesitated a moment, puffed his cigarette, and took it from his mouth. Uh, it must come out, I suppose. Mr. Fargo had an idea, and he was a man always fixing his ideas, that I could make myself famous as the director of the cancer clinic. I suggested he found it at once, not wait until after his death and settlement of the state. He disagreed with me on that. And there was another matter. What was it? Well, he had ideas about family. He wanted his fortune to remain in the family to a degree, same as many men do. He wanted his niece to be connected in some manner with whoever his, his money went to. That is why he did not want her to marry Mr. Blodger. In fact, he desired a marriage between Penny and myself. What? Penny and Blodger cried together. Dr. Stamp smiled slightly. Yes, Penny, I was the man he met when he said he wanted you married to an older man with a savage reputation. I have never married, you know. I told him the idea was ridiculous, and he grew angry. Not that any man in his right mind would refuse such a bride as you, my dear, but my heart interest is elsewhere. I had a college sweetheart. We quarreled, and she married another man. Two years ago, she became a widow. We have met and renewed our attachment. I understand, O'Hara broke in. Let's get back on the beam. You and Fargo fussed about it? Well, to such an extent that he told me recently that if I didn't agree to a marriage with Penny, he would change his will and name another physician to head the clinic. Well, let's check on everything. You told me, Dr. Stamp, that you were late for the party here because you had to call on a patient. Yes, Henry Zeller, who lives in the Royal Arms apartment almost a block down the street. He's getting rather old and getting almost helpless. Has a nurse continually. Did he have a bad attack tonight? Oh, nothing like that. The nurse wanted to get off to go to a Christmas Eve party, so I called and let her go. Then I sat with Mr. Zeller and gave him a sedative that would put him back to sleep for hours so the nurse wouldn't have to hurry back. When he dozed off and I was sure he's all right, I hurried here.
Remember what time you got here? A little before nine. When did you go to visit Zeller? About eight or a little before. The nurse possibly can verify the time. O'Hara gave Rasmund a direct look and the detective sergeant slipped into the hall quickly. The squad man Carlson appeared to take his place. Dr. Stamp, in fairness to you, I'm having your story checked. If you people will excuse me for a few minutes, I'll tend to matters and then come back. Doc Lane had made arrangements for the removal of the bodies. The police photographer had flash bulbs and exposed films. The fingerprints man had searched everywhere for prints. Reporters had got word of Fargo's death and were waiting outside the front door, held there by O'Hara's guard. O'Hara hurried back to the living room, got from Penny the name of her uncle's attorney, and went to the library to telephone him and apprise him of Fargo's death. Then he went on face to reporters. Bear with me a little longer, boys, and I'll give you the whole thing. It'll be a clean up of the case, I hope. Mr. Fargo was murdered, and so was the old houseman, Fred Denshaw. That's all for now. He got away from them, slammed the door shut in their faces, and went back along the hall, his head bent, thinking. In the living room, he sat down on the end of a couch, lit a cigarette, and glanced at the others. Miss Fargo, and you, Blodger, think carefully now before you answer. When did you see Denshaw last? If he wasn't in the Santa Claus suit, it was just a little before Santa Claus came to the library. Uncle told him it was time for Santa Claus to appear. Denshaw was putting food on the buffet table. This Santa Claus, did he resemble Denshaw? Well, we supposed he was Denshaw. Seemed the same size. How about his voice? He never spoke. Uncle never allowed that. Said it broke the illusion to have Santa Claus speak. He just gave us the presents and bowed. Notice his hands? He was wearing big fur gloves, Bob Lodger put in. And very handy when it came to concealing a stubby hypo needle. Just before your uncle collapsed, Miss Fargo, did you touch him? No, I was sitting on the couch in the corner. Bob was beside me. Uncle was in the big easy chair beside the reading desk. You touch him, Blodger, or shake hands with him? No, sir. Are you intimating I killed him? And I wasn't out of the library, so I couldn't have killed Denshaw. Very cleverly put. O'Hare turned to Dr. Stamp. Since this tragedy has occurred, I suppose his will hasn't been changed, and you'll have the chance to go ahead at the clinic and the sanitarium. I presume so. Dr. Stamp replied. It will be a monument to Mr. Fargo. How long ago was it you told him you would not marry Miss Fargo and he threatened to change the will and name another doctor? Three days ago, I believe. O'Hara got up and killed time pacing around the room. He was waiting for Rassman, who had gone to the Zeller apartment a block away. Finally, Rassman returned and beckoned him, and O'Hara went into the hall. He listened to what Rassman had to say, then went back to the living room with Rassman beside him. Rasmus whispered to the squad man, Carlson, as he entered, and Carlson drifted across the room and unobtrusively took up his position. O'Hara took the center of the floor. I think we have this thing solved. One of you now in this room killed both Mr. Fargo and Fred Denshaw. Penny and Bob Lodger sat up straight in a gasp of horror. Dr. Morgan Stamp brought out a cigarette case, carefully selected a cigarette, lit it with an expensive lighter, and returned lighter and case to his pockets. He fumbled for an instant in his waistcoat pocket, then settled back to smoke and listen. By the way, Dr. Stamp, you didn't see Denshaw this evening. I didn't. Nor see the Santa Claus, or played the part. I did not. When did you see the costume last? Why, last Christmas Eve, I was a guest here at the usual party, and Denshaw played Santa Claus. I always remember it because Denshaw got nervous and knocked over a table and smashed a vase. I was apologizing all over the place. I remember that too, Penny put in. Dr. Stamp, you travel in fashionable society, and I presume you were not... Evening clothes a great deal. Almost every evening, Stamp replied, smiling slightly. He also had a look of slight bewilderment in his face. You don't have to put up your evening clothes in mothballs, then, O'Hara said, smiling also. Lieutenant O'Hara puffed his cigarette a few times and extinguished it carefully in an ashtray and straightened. 
Well, I think we can consider this case closed, which will give me a chance to spend Christmas at home with my family. Dr. Stamp, you went to Zeller's apartment a little before age, you said. Sergeant Rasman checked on that. Nurse returned when Rasman was over at the apartment a few minutes ago. She says you came, and she left immediately at about a quarter of eight. That's correct. I talked with Zeller for a time and finally gave him a sedative, then came here. Isn't it true, doctor? You gave him a powerful sedative at once. Pima conscious immediately and gave you an opportunity to leave, and Zeller couldn't tell after what time you had left. His apartment on the second floor is served with a private automatic elevator. Nobody saw you leave. You hurried back here, entered rear of the house, and accosted Denshaw in his room as he was preparing to put on the Santa Claus costume. You held Denshaw, was not a strong man, jabbed him with a needle and killed him. You put on the costume and hurried to the library and played Santa Claus. You killed Mr. Fargo and you went back to Denshaw's room, took off the costume, hurried out of the house and around to the front door and rang the bell. Getting here about the same time Mr. Fargo dropped dead. Are you daring to intimate? Not intimating, I'm accusing you and arresting you for the murders of Mr. Fargo and Fred Denshaw, and knowing the undertakers might discover the cause of death, you couldn't certify to a natural death from a heart attack. So you called the police. You probably thought Miss Fargo or Mr. Blodger would be suspected and blamed. You believed your alibi perfect. Why, why should I have killed those two men? To get the fat job of handling a fortune for a clinic and sanitarium, make yourself an international reputation, possibly, and have plenty of money to marry your old college sweetheart. You knew Fargo would change his will. Preposterous! Oh, let's end it. The Santa Claus costume rooketh mouthballs. Denshaw's clothes did not, so he didn't have the costume on over them. But your evening clothes, which you use continually and which are never packed away in mothballs, do. You put on that costume and played Santa Claus tonight and killed Fargo. Watch him, Carlson! O'Hara barked the last words at his squad man. Dr. Stamp had lifted his left hand and taken the cigarette from his mouth. Then his right hand went up quickly and slipped something between his lips. His teeth crunched a capsule. This will make three of us, Stamp said. You guessed it right, Lieutenant O'Hara. His head jerked up. He gasped. His eyes rolled, and he would have toppled from the chair if Carlson had not held the body back. I didn't even have time to tell him how he left his tracks plain in the snow, O'Hara said. Well, thanks for listening today. That's the end of our story and the end of this week's episode. Just a reminder, if you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This has been a Brook Pickle Media production. We'll be back with a new episode next week.